0: Could have that first slide. We're, we're going to talk about relational ministry in context of life groups because we're starting another relaunch of them. We're in the fall, and uh, usually September and January, we put a little focus on that. Now, now sometimes the, the concern is we're talking about life groups, and that doesn't, people say, well, that doesn't apply to me, or uh, I don't know about life groups. Well, I just encourage you to listen up today. And, uh, and hear about our reason and some of the, the pluses and the advantages of connecting relationally in a life group. And that's what we've been talking about the last several weeks, the importance of relationships, first of all, ours with the Lord, and then going beyond. And so I'm just going to do a little recap and a couple of points from our, our series and then talk to you a little bit deeper about the, the, the positives of life groups. And uh, here we go. Jesus said this, or God said this at the beginning, and this is that creation, In the beginning, Elohim, and Elohim is the plural for Godhead. In the beginning, Elohim, the Godhead, created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So here we see in the very beginning of Scripture that God manifests Himself in the plural form in the Godhead. He manifests Himself as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and throughout Scripture it points to the fact that they were all present at creation. In other words, when God chose to manifest himself, he did it in community with himself. He did it in fellowship with himself because God is love, and for God to be love, there needs to be an object of his love. And so the son came forth from the father as an object of God's love, and that's how he's manifested himself. And that's hugely important when we think about who he is and what he desires and what he designs. He designs community. He lives in community. And because of that, he wants us to have community. The next chapter of Genesis, one chapter later, he, he looks at his creation, Adam, who he had community with, who he knew personally, who he had an amazing relationship with this guy Adam. They they created together. They named the animals together. I mean, they were in relationship one with another, and God looks at him and said, it's not good for man to be alone. Man shouldn't be an island. He shouldn't live separate, and so God created Eve, came forth from his side, meaning that, that side by side, walking together was part of creation from the very beginning, that there would be a, a working together. Jesus sent his disciples out by two, side by side. It was part of his plan. It's part of his design. It's part of what makes life work. And that's how it's designed to be for you and me. So he said very from the beginning, he created community, he created fellowship, he displayed it himself, and then he made in the first couple chapters a help meet or a partner for his first man, Adam. (coughs) Excuse me, Dr. Bill Bliskian, he says this, community is deeply grounded in the nature of God. It flows from who God is. Because he is community, he creates community. It is gift of himself to humans. Therefore, the making of community may not be regarded as optional. I want to read that line again. Therefore, the making of community may not be regarded as an optional decision for Christians. It is a compelling and irrevocable necessity, a binding divine mandate for all believers at all times. So we spent six weeks, this will be seven, talking about community, hopefully, to help remind us and help encourage a culture in our church of connecting. I know we need the Word of God. We need good teaching. We need to understand the promises of God and the character of God and the nature of God. But the outworking of that, because God is love, is community, relationship one with another. And so we, we've studied it, and now I'm hoping and believing that many of us are taking steps towards just establishing or reestablishing or purposing to be intentional in in your relationships around here and your friendships with one another and even beyond that we're made for community. We're made for relationship with God and one another. Anybody say amen this morning? Don't go quiet on me. Jesus had his small group. Here's his guys, and that's how he displayed it. He picked out 12, and he began doing life with 12. And from them, he put his hope, he put his future trust that these are the 12 guys as I impart to them And as I grow with them and encourage them and strengthen them, these are the guys going to impact the whole culture and beyond, a whole world. And so that one-on-one, he displayed it. Surely there was multitudes in his ministries. And sometimes I like the large group gatherings. But the interesting thing, when we read the Gospels, it's the individual names that were touched, the stories we remember from the individual connections where the Lord had relationship with them. So relationship is important, and we see that's how the early church started. They're all waiting in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit's poured out, and their boldness comes over these disciples. They've been hovering, these guys that spent intimate time with Jesus. And and the first display of that power upon them, Peter gets up to preach, and he preaches an amazing message. That's right, Peter. Okay, Peter's... Never mind. Peter's my cheerleader. When his name is mentioned, I get a cheer from Peter. And so Peter preaches a powerful gospel, a powerful gospel message, and he challenges the group that's there, and the Holy Spirit's moving, and and here decisions are made. 3,000 come to the church, and the next part of that passage that describes this amazing revival and this amazing response to the crowd says this about the crowd. And they, that's those, 3,000 added to the church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and their goods and divided among all as anyone had needed. So, we think about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in terms of signs and wonders and miracles. But this outpouring of the Holy Spirit also included a togetherness, a, a, a something that changed in their hearts that knit them together to a commitment that they were willing to sacrifice some of their own goods. I mean, immediately, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and guys are saying, what can I do to help this new movement? Immediately, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and they weren't only just chasing miracles or chasing you know, tongues and other things. No, no, what happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out, he knit their heart together. He knit their heart together to a place where they even desired to sacrifice for the well-being of the group. Now, some of us in our culture, you know, we're praying God of miracles. God, heal me. God, bless me. God, pour out your spirit so this pressure I'm under would lift. God, pour out your spirit so this depression that's been over me, God, would be broken with some friends, so I could make some friends, Lord, so I could have a group that I could encourage and a group around me that that they could encourage me. You ever pray that the Holy Spirit would do that over you? You knit my heart together with a group that sacrificially we could love one another. And it was one of the outpourings, one of the fruit of the outpourings of the Spirit that sometimes we just pass by, that there was such a response, fire falls on their heads, but when the fire fell on their heads, It wasn't just look at me, look what I can do now. No, when the fire fell on their heads, something ignited their hearts and there was a concern and a care for one another. And and oh God, how, how we need that in America, that you'd baptize our church with that again, amen? We keep reading, so continually daily with one accord. Here's the work of the Spirit. He brought them into one accord. In the temple, breaking bread from house to house. Say house to house. House to house, they ate their food with gladness. And simplicity of heart. They're praising God and having favor with all the people. And then they did big crusade services to add to the church. No? And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Because one of the signs that that still blows the world away and tweaks them is when we love one another. One of the signs that, that, that just messes with the world is when churches sacrificially give. A few months ago when our kitchen was flooded or our house got flooded, the hot water heater broke, and I shared this with you, but uh, many of the church, some of the guys came, helped me tear out the kitchen. My neighbors who are next, next door, one of the things that Jeff, my next door neighbor, said is, I don't know what you guys got going on at church, but it sure seems like you care for one another. I mean, all these people, you must be helping people. All these people coming to help you. It's community that they look at. I was reading... Uh, The peacemaker, Ken Sandy's description of a court case when he went in to do reconciliation. And this family situation was so tense. And it was Christians going back and forth. They had hired attorneys. They're several days into these deliberations. And on the fourth day, people began to forgive each other, get down on their knees and forgive one another in court. And releasing, and the different parties came, knelt down, the, and the, the, the attorney that was secular, they said, at the break, he was out just looking out the window, crying, crying, And one of the guys came up, and the attorney said, "What is the power that's in that room, where, where there's this love for one another and a forgiveness for one another and, and, and a connection between one another. It, it, it blew the, sec, the secular attorney away. What is the power?" It's in that room when you forgive each other. It's the same power that was poured out on Pentecost. It's the same power that continues when we gather and we love and we're caring for one another and we're concerned for one another. It's the same power that shows up there. And as our, our, our last little quote said, it, it shouldn't be optional for people. It, it's part of discipleship. I, I could list, and probably somewhere in these notes, I have a list of all the benefits of being in a home group. I don't know how many times over the years we've helped people move and they've helped us move. So you don't need meat-hud movers. You just need a strong group, a home group that could could help you move when you need to move. There's guys in our home group and men's group that have helped with plumbing things and car things around my house. There's, because of the community of believers, you know, we've probably saved each other thousands of dollars because of the community of believers. Just helping each other, just working, helping out each other. We've got best friends out of life groups. When I was in college, the, a couple of the people that were in our wedding, in our my life group in San Diego, and we went through the Book of Romans for 18 months together. I mean, the, those, those relationships, there's benefits. You, you, you usually eat good. You'll experience things, new kinds of food that you don't cook yourself in a life group. There, there, there's lots of benefits. I could go through the list of the, the, when, what happens in healthy small groups. But one of the main things that Jesus commanded that we make disciples and first we got to become disciples. This is his heart. When, when he left the earth, he said this go into all the unto go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Ghost. The other great commission is go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Say disciples, disciples, disciplined followers. And much of that discipleship happens in small groups. A little bit happens on Sunday mornings. Sometimes there's instruction and you're connecting with God and you're learning to worship. And then there's generosity because you're getting involved with projects. And you make connections here, but this isn't, this isn't the core component, the main component of discipleship. Discipleship is, is beginning to do life together. Discipleship means to love like Jesus loved, learn to love one another, learn to serve one another Learn to lay down your life for one another. And, and that doesn't happen real well if this is your only context for your faith and your Christianity, large group settings. It, it's in the small group context where we can get to know each other, where we get to know each other's heart, where we uh, even confess in, in the challenges that come. And most of the world is discipled like this. This is a small group in Cambodia, a home church there. Some missionaries are conducting I've been to some of those home groups in Cambodia. I've been to home groups small in China, behind the closed curtains, in the mountains of Bolivia, into some of the home church meetings in the mountains of Bolivia, in Mexico, into some of the home group meetings there, in the Philippines, in the home church meetings there. Lots of the world is discipled in those small groups. And in American mindset, it's kind of the crowd gathering. You come for the program and the display and the concert and the you know, the the great exhortation or the teaching or whatever it is, and 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 it sometimes becomes just production. And some of it's very important what we're doing together here, but it was never meant just to be about this. It's meant to be when we go, are we connecting in groups? Are we having life-sustaining, encouraging, relationship-building groups where we can really Grow personally, use our gifts personally, extend our strengths, receive back, pray for one another, minister to one another. It's, it's supposed to be in the context of our life groups. This is uh, Chen La and Thea. They're in Cambodia, and as a church, we support them sometimes when we can. And uh, when I met Chen La in 2000, he was this long haired little wild drummer, man, full of energy. I just was fun watching him, and then we became friends. He's a bit of a spiritual son now, and this is their life group that they formed outside of Phnom Penh where they're discipling children. So these are the recent photos he sent me once a month. He'll give me a little update, and here's the kids. This photo, he said, hey, we added two new girls this, this time, Pastor Mike, and, and this is how most of the world gets discipled. In small groups, interaction, face-to-face, loving one another, serving one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, and that's how Jesus decided to build his church in the beginning, and our model has kind of shifted to larger group gatherings, especially in the West, which, again, is important. We're building more buildings for large group gatherings, but a lot of the discipleship happens in the smaller context. Amen? This is... Another leader wrote this. He said, It is in small groups that people can get close enough to know each other, to care and share, to challenge and support, to confide and confess, to forgive and be forgiven, to laugh and weep together, to be accountable to each other, to watch over each other, and to grow together. Personal growth doesn't happen in isolation, it's the result of interactive relationships. Small groups are God's gift to foster changes in character and spiritual growth. And then I made a note to myself, camp here. And I don't have much time to camp here this morning. But those, those benefits, those, those dynamics that can happen in small groups are very real. And I, I got saved in 1977. In 78, I went down to San Diego State. I was pretty zealous, but there, there was just... I was kind of on my own. Financially, my father he 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 passed away, and I I was kinda on my own down there. And going to Horizon Christian Fellowship, I, I met a group of people that were meeting in Pacific Beach. And they were meeting midweek, and it turns out because of the geology major, I had to do a lot of field trips on weekends. And so church really became my 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 midweek. I think most of the time I went from Wednesday to Thursday, a Thursday small group. And those guys Dave Teske in the group, he, he was a good leader. He'd confront me when I wouldn't make it a couple weeks. Where you been? What's going on? He, he cared. It was a loving concern for my soul. Because it was small, I could ask questions. As a new believer, I had really no clue about many things in the Bible. Some of them were just growing with me. So we could ask honest questions. Because I know some of us don't go to small groups because we're afraid we don't have enough Bible knowledge or we wouldn't have anything to contribute but, but I, I went, and man, just studying the word. Sometimes we do a chapter out of Romans. Sometimes we do a verse. Sometimes we would do a word, and we would just dig in until it made sense, and, and you could apply it. I remember getting prayer in that group. Sometimes two of us would show up. Sometimes 15 would show up. And I, I remember the one-on-one prayer in that group. I remember bringing Jan to that group. Hey, guys, I met a girl. What do you think? And... <laughs> I remember Dave Teske, the leader, looking at me and says, dude, don't be stupid. She's a keeper, you know. <laughs> She's a keeper. And, and I, I brought her to that group to, you know, what do you think? Do you think could be a fit? And, and that group was really a life group to me. And I, I don't know how many in here have had that experience to have a, a group of people that love and to care. And even around here, I've been in really some really cool relationships and groups And it's important. God designed us for that. Amen? (laughs) There are 50 plus one another verses in the New Testament that flesh out several aspects of this community. It was a place where people loved, forgave, served, bore burdens, encouraged, exhorted, prayed, equipped, spoke truth in love, confessed sins, treated each other as precious members of the body. This is what Andy Stanley said. The primary activity of the church was one anothering one another was one anothering one another. And so I'm going to hit it just quickly. There's 50-some. This, this is just a few of the commands, and then I'm going to have our life group leaders come on up and just care, share just briefly what you're doing in your group. Scripture says love one another. That's seven or eight times in the New Testament where just the straight command, love one another. Mark's gospel, be at peace with each other. How many think peace is important? Wash one another's feet, the importance of serving each other at that level. Be devoted to one another. And that being being devoted means to to esteem one another. Lift one another up higher. When you're devoted to somebody, they're just not next to you. You want to lift them up in the group and lift up what they're called to and lift up who they are. Scripture says, tied into that, honor one another above yourselves. It just goes on. Live in harmony with one another. That word harmony comes from like the, the, the thought of a symphony. There's different gifts and instruments. There's cellos and bass guitars and keyboards. And when they all play together, we all get blessed. He said there's, there's living in harmony when, when you respect and honor each other's gift. There's a sound that comes out of that. There's life that comes out of it. There's strength that comes out when you live in, in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. In other words, quit gossiping. When you're a large group, small group, whatever, don't be judging each other. Don't be talking about each other. It blows the group up. That kind of behavior messes it up, causes division. He said, Don't do that. Love one another. Quit passing judgment, pointing fingers at each other. Accept one another. Then, just as Christ has accepted you. I, I hear it once in a while around. It says, You know, come to church. It seems kind of clicky. Many people, you guys have been in groups. You know each other. We're new. How do we connect? And so I just exhort those of us that have been around for a while, don't be clicky. Accept one another. You never know. The new family coming in, the new single guy coming in, the new person coming in, you don't know what that relationship could turn into. Could end up being your best friend in the whole world for the rest of your life if you just reach out and accept one another. Amen? What's number nine? Say instruct one another instruct one another, teach, train. What, what's God put in you? You have a different perspective on life. You have a different perspective on politics. You have a different perspective on, on what God's doing. Instruct one another. This is why I used to go to life group, greet one another with a holy kiss when I was in college. Just, what, her? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, number 11. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. Here's just the tip about Manners. You're coming to communion. Some people are raw material. You come into unity, into community, just work on some manners. Number 12, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, you'll be destroyed by each other. There's a warning how you treat each other. It can tear each other down or build each other up. 13, let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So another place what you get to do in small groups is share your stories. And I love it, hearing about other people's blessing. I got promoted on the job. Wow, how did that happen? We prayed for just a few weeks ago. There was tension on the job. I know that person left and now I have that that position where you get to encourage one another and cheer for one another and not be jealous or not be, you know, envious over one another. Verse 14 or number 14, carry each other's burdens. In their seasons yesterday... We did a memorial service here, and Mark Planofsky from our deaf community went home to be with Jesus now two weeks ago, and the deaf community was here yesterday, and so probably three-quarters of the people that came couldn't hear, and so there was signing going on, but there was a tightness about that community because there's not that many. They have a pretty good social fabric, and and you could see them caring for one another. Barbara, Mark's wife, was here, and... um, People blessed her and reached out to her and you know they're hugging on her and they're signing as somebody's interpreting and, and and I saw how community could work with a group of people that are different than the rest of us. God designed it that way. He did he said he sets the solitary in families. He doesn't want us to be off alone and isolated. Amen. Fifteen, be patient with one another. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And so that idea of that there's different people that straggle behind. There's people that come out of addictions and they fall again. And in small group, we just don't kick them off and just keep going. No, in small group, we turn around and we say, come on, man, get back up. Come on, man, connect with us again. Come on, you're not meant to be behind. You're with us now. You're running with us. You're walking with us. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Amen? Verse 16, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Who wouldn't want to be in that kind of community? In the world we're in, in in just the hostile world, in the fearful world we're in, and just crazy things happening all over the place, weather things and political things, and a guy in Korea with a bad haircut threatening to blow up the world, and all all that stuff going on around us. Who wouldn't want to be in a community that's compassionate and forgiving each other and encouraging one another? Verse 19, it's important in group, in community. Confess your sins to each other. It's powerful. It's a challenging thing, but it's a powerful, powerful thing when brothers get together and say, this is my struggle, man. Can you pray for me? This is my struggle. Can, can you lift me up? Can you encourage me through this? And we're honest and transparent with each other because we know it's safe, because we know we'll get help, we'll, we'll, we'll get encouragement there. 20 is tied to it. Pray for each other. And then verse 21, the last one I'm going to share, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve one another, amen? Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve one another. That's from 1 Peter 4, yes, amen. And uh, so with that, I don't go to a life group or small group because, because, why is that? Sometimes we go, the chemistry's not right, you know, don't feel like a fit, but that's why there's other groups. So you can't just go once or twice and say, small groups aren't for me. Maybe that group's not for you, or maybe you're called to start a small group. So, so get some of your friends, people you know, and say, hey, I just found a book. Let's go through this book. Let's study this book. I think it'll help us. Maybe it's, let's go to this marriage retreat together. Let's, let's get a group, and we'll go to this marriage to retreat together so when we're done at the retreat, we can still help each other and hold each other accountable because we want to be victorious in our marriages.